Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Good morning. Are you guys excited to be here today? How about one more big hand for our crew? Building, building the kingdom of God is an important thing. And in order to build the kingdom of God, we have to have a heart for the things that Jesus had a heart for. We have to have a, a heart for the house. And uh, so we are in the middle of this series called Heart for the House. And it is about building the things inside of us, inside of our heart that Jesus had a heart for. And uh, so I want to welcome you to part two of this series. Didn't Melissa do a wonderful job last weekend? I, uh, I married way above my pay grade, in case you guys haven't figured that out. Hey, can we welcome all those joining us by video this morning? So glad you guys have tuned in. I want to invite you to come and be a part of a service live and in person right here at Generation Church. So, Heart for the House, the, um, the title of today's message is Identity Markers. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember growing up, there are certain things from life that just became markers or milestones. Like, think about when you were in school. Do you remember those little uh, troll pencil toppers? You put those on your, on your pencils, or maybe some of you parents, you bought those things for your kids. Um, remember things like Trapper Keepers? Man, if you didn't have a trapper keeper growing up, you just weren't cool. You were probably going to hell if you did not have a trapper keeper. Um, scratch and sti sniff stickers. Do you remember that? How in the world do they get that smell in there? I mean, you scratch it and it smells like strawberries. Um, Velcro tennis shoes. Man, it handicapped me for life. I couldn't even tie my shoes forever. And, uh, but those were the most comfortable thing. I think we need to bring Velcro uh, tennis shoes back. Uh, do you guys remember those scented magic markers growing up? You know, you're, you're in third grade, and after you get finished eating Elmer's glue, then, then you pull out a marker, and you start to smell it. And, and um, it was so cool because you're trying to figure out, like, what marker was which flavor and, and smelling all of that. So I want to invite a volunteer up. We're going to do a little experiment today just to see how, how well we can do at identifying some markers in our lives. Everybody give it up for Ray. What's up, Ray? We're, we're going to blindfold him. And uh, we're going to make him walk off the edge of the stage. <laughs> no. We're going to blindfold him, and, uh, and then we're going to see if he can. Uh, you guys can choose the flavor, and we're going to see if he can identify it. Come on over here to the middle, Ray. <laughs> right off the edge of the stage. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's see. You guys give me some applause for which, which marker you want to see if he can figure out. You like that one? Okay. What about that one? Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> what about that one? Okay. What about that one? It's all the same. All the applause are the same. Okay. Okay. All right. Here it is. Let's see if Ray can identify the marker. You ready, Ray? I'm ready. He blindfolded his nose. He... <laughs> Let's see if we can. There we go. Okay. Here we go. You ready, Ray? I'm ready. Oh, oh I got some on your nose. Sorry. What, what flavor is that? Where is it? <laughs> Come on, breathe in right now. There you go. I can't tell. You can't tell? Strawberry. No. Okay. Let's give him another one. Let's see if we can get this one. Should we give him this one? Yeah. All right, Ray, try again. What flavor is that? 
Just say strawberry. Strawberry. There we go. <laughs> Good job, Ray. That's it. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> That's too funny. Hey, you know, in life, there's some things that, uh, that are our, our identity markers for us. And our identity is, uh, is a critical thing. Knowing who you are is critical. And, and as we talk about building the kingdom of God and having a heart for the house of God, knowing who you are, what your identity is in him is the foundation of that. And so I want to talk to you today about, uh, about your identity, who, who you are in him. Every single one of us have a purpose. Every single person in this room and in part of this church has a part to play in what God is doing right here in our city. You know, when you give your life to Jesus, there are some things that happen to you. Your citizenship changes. You, you are no longer a citizen of earth. You're a citizen of heaven. You become an ambassador. Your relationships get redefined. These are identity markers for you. Your purpose begins to be revealed to your life. Your roles in life get reestablished. When, when you are translated from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God, your roles change. How you live changes. What you're working on changes. Your, your passions inside of your heart, those things, not overnight, but over time, they begin to change and, and we begin to develop a heart for the house. And in that place, there's this epic battle that begins to happen. How many guys have ever been in an epic battle? You know, you, you give your life to the Lord and, and God begins to call you as we sang this morning out into the deep in places where your feet may fail, where, where you have to trust him. And, and we have this dichotomy in this life, this division, this choice, right or left. It's a fork in the road to say, okay, God, am I going to follow you into uncharted territory or am I going to keep going in the same old role that I have? And the enemy of your soul, the devil, Satan, he fights for that. He fights to get you to, to walk his way and not walk God's way, to get you to operate. And you can love Jesus and still be influenced by the devil. You know that? Come on, you can be as born again as the next person. You can come to church and sing worship songs and cry holy and still be influenced by the enemy. And so this epic battle begins to rage for your life. It's a battle for your heart. Where is your heart? And as a pastor, I see so many people who have succumbed to this false lie from the devil that has this heart of, of anger, this heart of bitterness, this heart of hurt that develops against the church of Jesus Christ. And, and people split out of the church and they stay home and, and they form home groups and, and we begin to, to rail against pastors and people and organizations and, and, and people that are doing good things for the kingdom because the enemy is constantly beating the image of Jesus off of us. We were created in his image. Created in the image of God and the, the enemy's idea, his plan, his assignment is to hammer that image away from us, to disconnect us from the thing that Jesus shed his blood for. He told Peter that on the revelation, Peter, that you have of who I am, I'm going to build the church. It's the Greek word ecclesia. It's the gathering. It's not a building. It's the people. And whether you have a building, meet in a building, or you meet in a storefront like we do, the devil is battling for you. He's battling for your family. Sometimes the enemy battles harder to win us away from our purpose than we battle to fulfill our purpose. And so there are some identity markers in us, some things that, that can help us stay on track, things that, that will help us do exactly what Jesus died to produce in us. How many of you guys know that markers are no good until you put them to paper? 
Identity markers in your life are no good until you begin to realize those things, those things that mark you for God, and then you begin to apply them. Scripture tells us in James 1, 21 and 22 that if you hear the word of God only, but you don't do the word of God, that you become deceived. That road walks two ways, that, that you have to hear and then you have to put it into play, put it into action. You have to begin to apply those things. So if you're following along on your fill-in sheets, uh, we're going to get right into the notes. By the way, if you don't have the binder, these are free. They're out in the foyer, so make sure you grab one. We hole punch it for you just so you can keep up with it. Um, but grab your notes. Here we go. The first thing in your notes, there are three common identity markers or three common roles that every child of God operates within. Look at me very closely. Every single one of you operate to some degree in one of the three roles that I'm about to share with you. And within those three roles that every single one of us have some level of operation, there's usually one of them that is a little more dominant, one that we just kind of get into a little bit more. I am a pastor. I am also an apostle because I started this church, although don't call me that, and don't call me bishop either, and don't call Melissa first lady. Just call us Melissa and Ben. That's fine. But I, I, while I have those functions from the fivefold ministry, my greater function is to function as a starter, an apostle. Sean, Pastor Sean's greater function, even though he leads worship, his greatest function is that of a pastor. He just has a pastor's heart. And so we, we cross over in some of these things, but we have a dominant trait. And you guys do the same thing. There's no difference between me and every single one of you, except I have a microphone and you don't. And the reality is, is if you rush the stage right now, you could have the microphone. But er Ernest will tackle you. Ernest, wave at everybody. Did you guys see Ernest last night with his earpiece in? I was like, good Lord, who hired the president's guard to come down here and do security at the fall festival? Three rolls. Are you guys ready for these? All right. So on your note sheet, I want you to answer the following question. You see three questions there. In your Christian life, are you generally more interested in, number one, don't answer until I get through them all, what is God speaking to mankind? Like in your personality, are you concerned? Like what is God saying in the earth today? What, what is the word of God to man? What, what is the word of God for this hour? What is he speaking to our generation? You, you're kind of doctrine driven. You, you can smell heresy like a, a drug dog at the airport. You know, you're just like... I think that's heresy. And, and you're, just, you're just all about like the, the word of God and what's happening. And, and is this truth? You're very cut and dry, very black and white. You're, you're kind of a teacher in, in your own um, world and a proclaimer of the word of God. Number two, you are into what mankind is speaking to God. So one is, what is God saying to us? That resonates with you. The second one is, what is man giving to God? You're, you're concerned about people's worship. You're concerned about their growth. You're concerned about their sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Uh, you're, you're concerned about are people growing spiritually? Are we fellowshipping in a good manner? Are we healthy? It just resonates in your heart. You're concerned about people's needs. You look at somebody and you think, man, I wonder what's going on inside of their life. Where are they hurting? How can I help them? Number three, in your Christian life, you are generally more interested in what interactions are happening 
from person to person. So number one is from God to man. Number two is from man to God. And number three, you're generally more interested in what's happening from person to person, man to man. You're kind of, um, you just get jazzed up on, on evangelism. You think about, you know, who can I talk to? Who can I minister? Who can I share Jesus with you? Your concerns are like, who's discipling people? Like you, you, this morning when I shared about the 26 baptisms, in your mind you were thinking, well, I wonder who's going to get them in discipleship class. Right? It's just kind of the way that you, you think. You're, you're thinking about, are we protected as a church? You know, who's running background checks for the kids' ministry? Who, who put Ernest in charge of security last night, right? And was he packing heat or not? That's just I wanted to know. So go ahead on your note sheet this morning and circle which one of those you identify with most. What you would say is your most dominant marker. And if, you, um, if you're one of those people who you just love everything in life, then just try to number them. Like, this is my number one, but this one's probably number two. But it could go the other way. Like, on Tuesdays, it probably switches back. If you want to give them, like, a grade one, two, three, you can do that. Okay, as we dive into week number two of Heart for the House, knowing your maker's markers for your life, really who you are in him, it's a vital part to being able to develop a heart for the house. In order to develop a thing inside of you, a heart inside of you for the things that Jesus has a heart for, you have to know what your role is. You have to know what your bend is in life so that you can be fulfilled in what God has created and called you to get to. Knowing this about yourself becomes the master link in the chain of events that causes us as a people to reach an entire city. That causes us as a people to be able to, to do things like our fall festival and see hundreds and thousands of people come to Christ. Amen. See, us operating in our roles, where our strengths are, running in our lane is that place of efficiency that happens in the body of Christ. Because if my hand decides it wants to go down and be on my feet, then I'm not going to run as well as if my feet are where they're supposed to be and where my hands are supposed to be. So knowing our roles is a critical part of this. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit of a story this morning about how I got to this place. I was, I was reading in my Bible probably five months ago in the book of Isaiah. How many of you guys have ever read Isaiah? Have you guys got anything out of it? I'm just curious. I mean, I'm reading through it. I'm like, was Isaiah schizophrenic? I mean, well, he was on LSD or so? I don't know. Um, so reading through Isaiah, and I get to chapter 10, and, and it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, Isaiah 10 and 27. If you'd like to turn there or read it on the screen, I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 10 and 27. It shall come to pass in that day... That his burden, his is Satan's, that Satan's burden will be taken away from your shoulder and Satan's burden from your neck and the yoke of his burden will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And I've quoted that scripture probably hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times since I've been preaching and ministering it. And I've read it probably just as many times. And as I read it, the Holy Spirit just arrested me. And, and I began to, to dwell on this little simple scripture. And I was praying and, and just pondering for us as a church. And I thought, 
I thought to myself, Lord, when will we see the yoke of bondage truly broken off of people's lives? When will we see the drug addicts no longer struggle with drug addictions? When will we see the marriages that are in shambles get put back together and stronger and begin to lead marriage classes? When, when will we see people in prison get born again and come out of prison on parole and then lead prison ministries back to the place where they came from? When are we going to see people who come to church regularly excited, passionate, bringing people... When are we going to see all of the services packed at Generation Church? When are we going to have to park people over at the bowling alley like we did last night? I was, I was pondering this in my heart. When, when, God, are we going to see the yoke of bondage destroyed off of the city of West Palm Beach? When are we going to see the pride taken away? When are we going to see the effects of money taken out of people's lives? When are we going to see the boats docked on Sunday morning instead of out fishing? When are we going to see the heart of this city turn towards God, when will we see revival? When will the yoke of the enemy that drives the image of Christ out of us, when will we see that broken? And as I, I pondered it, the Lord began to speak to me and he said, he said this, I wrote it down. If you want to know how to free people from Satan's bondage, you have to ask yourself, which people did I anoint? If you want to know how to free the people of a city from Satan's bondage, you have to ask yourself, which people did I anoint? Because he says that the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And, and I begin to ponder that and, and I begin to think, well, who did you anoint? If, if the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage, who did you anoint? Because it is those anointed people that work together to break the power of evil over a city. It is the anointing. If the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage then the people of God are anointed and they become the key to that destroying of that enemy's power. And so I began to think about it. I said, well, God, who did you anoint? And very softly, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, I anointed the priests. I anointed the prophets. And I anointed the kings. When you look at the Old Testament, it is a, it's, it's a symbolism. It's a type and shadow of what God was doing in one covenant, and it was pointing toward this covenant, the day in which we live. And I love the scripture. It says, it shall come to pass in that day. What day? This day, this covenant, that the anointing will destroy the yoke of bondage off of a city. And he does it through the prophets, priests, and through the kings. Now, it's not for us. We're, we're not so concerned about those terms. They're actually kind of old school terms. Uh, you know, most people that call themselves prophets are probably a little weird if we're being honest, right? You know, their eyes are bloodshot, their hair is all frizzed out, you know, and you're like, hey, how are you? <laughs> those terms are a little foreign to us today. But those terms that God typed and shadowed out in the old covenant... They laid a foundation for what he was going to do in the new covenant, this covenant. Now, we're not Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings. I don't have, uh, you know, a scepter and a, and a, a crown, and, and, you know, you probably don't have priestly things. We don't have the showbread from the temple anymore or anything like that. But the role and the function of prophets, priests, and kings is for today. It was typed and shadowed in the Old Testament so that it could actually happen in the New Testament, you guys realize that the prophets, priests, and kings really had no authority back then. Jesus had not come yet and had not brought the kingdom together. So there was something that they were looking forward for that day. We live in that day. 
Everything that the prophets, priests, and kings and their roles were supposed to accomplish back then, we have the ability to accomplish today. Man, I'm preaching better than your amen. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Listen to me. This is how you take a city. This is how you develop a heart. This is how you see God do a movement from South Florida like he did with Hillsong that goes globally. This is where you see God get thousands of people born again and functioning in their purpose. What I'm talking about today it may not be swinging from the chandeliers kind of message, but this is the foundation. This is how you build the house of God, how you build the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, and he has made us, he being Jesus, has made us kings and priests to his God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. We have all been made priests and kings. When you study through the New Testament, you find out that there are prophetic giftings that are given to us as the children of God. That there are priestly giftings that are given to us as the children of God. There are kingly things, roles and functions, abilities that are given to us as the children of God. It's, it's not just the pastor that's a priest. You're a priest, James Clemens. And it's not just Jamie Clemens that's a priest, it's Jeremy Irvin and, and Seiko Rodriguez and, and all of us. We are prophets, priests, and kings. We have been given that. And here's what has happened. The enemy has been hammering away on our identity since the beginning. Just hammering away. You're not really that. Jesus actually talked about it in the book of Revelation chapter 2. He said, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is one thing that I hate. How many guys know that Jesus doesn't hate a lot? So when Jesus says, I hate something, it's big. What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? We're going to get a little deeper. You guys okay with that? The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was the putting of the people in the pew and the posting of the pastor on a pedestal. Say that five times fast. <laughs> That people were separated from the, the role of the fivefold ministry, and, and the fivefold ministry was something special. Listen, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. There's no difference in me. Maybe there's a difference in my functionality as a pastor, but I'm still a prophet, priest, and king, first and foremost. And there may be some functionality difference in you as a business person or, or a school teacher or whatever, but you're still a prophet, priest, and a king first, according to the kingdom of God. We've got to understand how this works. So who were they? They were anointed in the Old Testament. They were a type and shadow. Number one in your fill-ins. You guys tracking with me okay? Yes. Are you as excited about this as I am? Yes. Hey, you know, I really believe that as a church, as we get this in our heart, that this can become a corner-turning decision for us as a church. And we're already reaching people. I mean, you guys are amazing. We, we're already taking the city of Jupiter and moving into West Palm Beach. We're going to take that city. We're going to move into Hope Sound. We're going to take that. We're already doing it. But I believe that this is a critical part of the foundation. You know, Jesus uh, talked about the church, that he was going to build the church. And that's what Melissa talked about last week. It was the foundation. But how many of you guys know you really don't see the foundation? It's kind of dug down. It's low to the ground. Where do you really begin to see the progress as something gets built? It's when the walls go up. That is the most vertical progress that you see. And what we're talking about today, understanding our roles, who we are, is really where we get things done. Imagine with me if every single person in here begins to operate in their divine gifting of God as a prophet, a priest, or a king. 
If everybody begins to operate in that, the, the walls of the kingdom of God go high and they go quick. Instead of being disconnected and severed off from the body and wandering this way and wandering that way and come to church once a month and maybe I won't see you guys again in six months. And, and, you know, and I'm not mad at anybody, but, but I'm mad at the devil. Yeah. And you should be too. Amen. You should be so mad at the devil that he disconnects the gathering of the believer. So mad that you just want to put his head right there and you just want to... Bam! Punt him. Just knock his head right off. The next time the devil comes to you on Sunday morning and you begin to fight with your spouse, don't kick her. Just, just take about three steps back, put the devil's head right there on the ground, and just punt that thing. And instead of letting it derail you from coming and, and being in the presence of God under the anointing of God and, and getting challenged in your purpose and destiny, instead of letting him steal that from you and rob you from that, punt him. Overcome it. Say, I'm not going to be a victim of this. There are people counting on me, namely my family, my spouse, people in my church, people in this city. Prophets. Number one, prophets are concerned with what God is saying to man. I want to give you just a little bit so you can kind of latch onto these, and maybe you'll, you'll change your answers a little bit. But these are people who are concerned with evangelism. They're, they're truth-driven. They're, they're people who call people to repentance. They're, they're concerned about what is God's word for this nation. They're the people who quote 2 Chronicles 7.14 all the time. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. And their vein pops out of their forehead, and you think, this person's going to have a coronary. <laughs> will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. you got to say that with your head shaking a little bit. <laughs> kind of prophetic in nature. It's very black and white and, and tend to be a little legalistic and, and tend to be a little judgmental. Just like the prophets in the Old Testament, they heard from God and they came and they said to the priest, what are you doing? They heard the word of God and they came to the kings and they said, kings, what are you doing? You've set up false worship. And the prophets and the priests and the kings held each other accountable. In the church, there are three giftings that were given. Jesus gave gifts, the Father gave gifts, and the Holy Spirit gave gifts. And in, listen to this, in each of those three giftings, the role of the prophet was given. In the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus gave the church, there's the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle. So the prophet was given from Jesus to the fivefold ministry. In Romans chapter 12, the motivational gifts, it says if you have been gifted to prophesy, then prophesy according to your faith. And so number one underneath that, the office of the prophet was given by Jesus to the church. The office of the prophet. If you're called a five-fold ministry, that's your full-time job, you, you have maybe a potential to operate in the role of a prophet, the office of a prophet. Number two, the role of the prophet, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, he says, and God appointed these in the church, first apostles, second, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, and then gifts of healings. The role of the prophet comes out in the gifts of the spirit that the Holy Spirit gave. And then the third one is the function of the prophet. These are the gifts that God the Father gave. It says Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. 
If our gift is prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, let me balance it out for you a little bit because when I say that you guys, some of you have the role or the function or um, the gift of a prophet in your life, that doesn't mean you need to go out to the parking lot and start handing them out like cookies. Right? It's, it's the prophet little P, not the prophet big P. Jesus was the big P. Elijah was the big P prophet. Elisha, with a double portion of the anointing, was the big P prophet. Right? So we're, we're not big P prophets, but we have a function, a role in our lives. Somebody who, who calls it as they see it. Somebody who brings that black and white edge. Are you with me this morning? Okay. Number two, priests. Priests are concerned with what man is saying to God. You're you're concerned about the worship that's happening on the weekend. You're concerned about people's personal growth. You're you're concerned about whether they're passionately driven in worship to God. When you turn around in service and you see people like this, you start to have veins pop out of your forehead. Your blood starts to boil because you think, man, I just want people to experience the the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who were responsible for bringing worship to God. They were the ones who were responsible for bringing the sacrifice to God. They brought the sacrifice for sins to God. They, they, They were the representatives of the people of God to God. Now, you don't need a priest today because you is one. You don't have to go to confessional. You don't have to have me. You don't need me to pray for you. Your prayers are just as powerful as my prayers. Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, that the pastor's something special. You have the same power inside of you, and you have a priestly role in your life. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, obviously, Jesus is the main one sacrifice for sin. We have no need to offer that again. But do you know what we do in our priestly role in the new covenant? While we don't offer sacrifice for sin, we point people to the sacrifice for sin. We are pointing people to Jesus We have a heart for people. In the New Testament, we offer sacrifices in three ways. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to do some scripture turning today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us. Part of our priestly role in the new covenant is that we give ourselves, that, that we give of our time. We give of our time and weekend services. You know what? When people come looking for God and they come into a 9 o'clock service and there's three people at the start of worship, people who are looking for something to devote their lives to, they're looking for answers. When they see us unpassioned about the things of God and they're here before we're here, there's no draw to that. It's, it's actually, if we're not careful as a people, we do harm to those who are seeking and searching. Our time is valuable. Our time needs to be given to God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we should redeem the time because the days are evil, that that we should buy it back. And so as, as priests, all of us operate in that role to some degree. As priests, our time needs to be committed to God. We need to be here every single week, not because it's religion, but because we have a heart for God. And and if you kind of dwindle in and dwindle out, and as soon as I dismiss you, the first one out the door, then I would encourage you, allow God to develop a heart for you, inside of you, for what he's doing here. 
that your time would be devoted to him. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17 Paul says, he says, as if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. That he's a drink offering poured out as a sacrifice of service. The second thing that priests offer to God is a sacrifice of our service, our time and our talents. The things that God has put inside of us. People who were builders that built the, the pallet uh, city last night for the games. People who built the stage last night. People who put together the sound system. People who baked. You guys realize that if you get somebody baking for the bake sale that doesn't know how to bake, you can kill people? <laughs> I mean, really. I grew up in the South. We had potluck. You know, there were things there you had to pray in the spirit over before you could eat. Some people just shouldn't be doing some things. You know what? Look at me very, very closely. Every single one of you is a 10 in some area. And you need to find your 10. What are you a 10 in? And find that area. It's your talent. Pour yourself out as a drink offering to this city, to the Lord. The last one, Philippians 4.18, Paul says this. He says, indeed, I have a, all and I am abounding. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. I just love that name. I have received from Epaphroditus. My firstborn is going to be called Epaphroditus. <laughs> having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. It was a gift, a financial gift to support the work of the ministry and the expansion of the kingdom. And Paul says this, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice, and it's well-pleasing to God. That as priests, we bring that sacrifice of not only our time, our talent, but our treasure. I mean, these are the things that Jesus talked about. He didn't come back and talk about much else except what's happening in your heart, the Beatitudes, his first sermon on the mount, you know, all those things. He, he, he talked about what's happening in the heart of a person. And he talked about our time, our talent, and our treasure. What are we doing with those things? And the third area is kings. Kings are concerned with how people relate to people. Most kings, I would say, just from my experience, are people who are in the corporate world, people who are businessmen. You just kind of think that way. You're, you're thinking about how to win friends and influence people. Come on. You're, you're thinking about how, how can we do this more effectively, more smoothly. You're thinking about are the, the kids in the, the workers in the kids' church, have they been background checked? You're thinking about what if some crazed gunman walks in the back of a church? You know, who's going to handle that? You're, you're thinking about how do we get a discipleship set up effectively? Who's going to do that? You know what? There are people in this church right now that you have kingly gifts, your, your, your thought processes, the way you look at things. You're not so concerned with what God is saying. You're okay with that. God say what you're going to say. You're not so concerned with what people are bringing to God. They're just going to do what they're going to do. But we need to make sure that there's a place safe. There's a place that's governed. There's, there are walls around our city that, that there's a temple that is, uh, is available for people to come so they can hear from God. So they can worship God. And the kings, you guys are so valuable and so important. People in this place today who operate in kingly roles, 
that need to step up for that. They need to be on a security team. They need to be a part of the ushers team. They need to be a part of the board of trustees that need to be a part of our next building project that need to be a part of how we budget for the next fall festival and, and how we do that more effectively so that we can reach more people with less dollars. You know, I need you guys. This city needs you guys to be a part, not just to step back and think, hey, I'm just going to do my side business over here and, you know, I'll just tithe. And there's so much more to that. So kings, I encourage you to step up. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. It says this, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one person because of Adam, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, the people we're trying to reach, his unmerited favor and the free gift of righteousness, being put into right standing with God himself, we will reign as kings in life through one man, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah and the anointed one. Kings are about propagating the kingdom of God, about advancing the kingdom of God, Ephesians 2, 6. And he raised us up together and, and with Jesus, with him, and he made us to sit down together, giving us joint seating with God in the heavenly sphere in Christ Jesus. We've been given that authority. Kings, we've got to step up and we've got to make something happen in this city. We, we've got to pro provide a place of worship for the prophets and the priests to get their thing on. Come on. Amen. There's a place for every single one of us. You know what I find in, in church a lot of times is the people who are that kingly gifting just kind of step back in the shadows. Man, I'm imploring you, stand up. Amen. Stand up and help us do something amazing. To build the kingdom of God, you've got to build lives. The word church in the scripture in the New Testament is not building. It's the word ecclesia. It means gathering. Kings, you help us put something together for, for people to gather, a place for people to gather. It's the way God designed it. It is in this place that when we're all living out our God-given and anointed roles, like Isaiah 10, 27 said, that we destroy the yoke of bondage. We can't do it if the prophets are silent. They don't speak. We can't do it if the priests step back into the shadows and their heart for people is disconnected. And we can't do it if the kings take off their crowns and they're not fully engaged in the vision to reach a city. Every single one of you have a role to play. God is building, as I get ready to close, a unified people to have a heart for the house. You want to get a heart for the thing that Jesus has a heart for? Begin to operate in your role. Begin to operate in who you are. God is building this unified people. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, you also as living stones, you also, as you operate as prophets, priests, and kings, you also are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 9. And you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Some of you are priestly. A holy nation, some of you are kingly. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises. Prophets proclaim of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. 
The church of Jesus Christ is the place where you discover your giftings. The place that we gather on the weekend is is where you learn how to operate in your priestly role. How you learn to operate. It's opportunities. You cannot be a king in the kingdom of God in the corporate world. You can earn money and you can be a businessman in the corporate world, but what you do in the corporate world only has true meaning when it's applied to the kingdom of God. All that stuff burns up, guys. All that stuff burns up. It's in the church of Jesus. That's why he birthed the church. You can't get it at Starbucks. You can't get it at Panera. You can't get it just living in town. You can't get it in your home. While I encourage you to be in life groups every single week, there's something that happens in the corporate gathering. It's the way God did it. It's not the way I did it. It happens right here on the weekend. That God does right here. Let God develop for you a heart for the house. How we approach, listen to me very closely. Probably should write this down somewhere. How we approach the global gathering of believers, the church, how we approach this thing that happens in weekend services in our day, how we approach it in our day will determine what our eternity will look like in that day. You need to hear me very closely. What you're doing today determines what your eternity looks like. To the degree in which God uses you in this life translates out to the degree in which you rule and reign with Christ. Revelation tells us in chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, it says, And to he who overcomes and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. What you do in this day determines that day. The level in which you operate in your giftings, your prophetic, your priestly, your kingly giftings determine your authority during the millennial reign. Listen to this, Revelation 20 and 6. He says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, talking about the rapture. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. Listen, what you do in life does nothing to affect God's love for you. You can't increase his love. You can't decrease his love. But what you do in life does determine what your eternity looks like. It just does. Man, if you just squander your life, you just squander your church attendance, you you squander your priestly and prophetic and kingly roles, and and you just spend a life doing things for the world, and, and then you die and you go to heaven and you stand there before God, what you accomplished here translates to what he gives you authority over there. If you squander it here, How can God give you much there? I want to share one last scripture with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are on a co-mission. Not a commission, a co-mission. Mission. We are co-laborers, fellow workers, and you are God's field, and you 
are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on the foundation of Jesus. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid upon Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for that day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built If it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will still be saved, yet though as by fire. What you do today is either gold, silver, precious stones, gems, things that are purified in fire, but they're not burned. When we squander our our prophetic and our priestly and our kingly roles, we don't engage them, it becomes wood, hay, and stubble. And you're still born again, you're still saved, you'll still go to heaven. But the level at which God trusts you to rule and reign with him is different, just the way it is. You can't change his love. He loves you unconditionally, whether you're the best or the worst or in the middle, mediocre, on it doesn't matter. You can't change his love. But scripture is very clear in Matthew 25 that we've been given talents. And to those who take what they've been given and they invest it and they multiply it, they put it to good use. To him who has, more will be given. And to him who has not, what he even has will be taken away from him. Guys, we've got a city to take here. Come on, we've got people to reach. We've got services to fill up with lost and hurting people. We've got fall festivals to pull off. There are people who are dying and going to hell in this city. It's time that we stand up and we get a heart for the house. Close your eyes with me this morning. Father, I bless you today, God. I know that sometimes these kind of messages are not easy to hear. And Father, I pray that it falls on your people's ears with grace. Lord, I pray that it's it's not received in a condemning way, but God, it's received in an encouraging way that as we begin to operate in who we are created to be, the power of the enemy and the yoke of his bondage is destroyed off of a city. And it is in that place, God, where we begin to realize our true fulfillment in life. It is in that place, God, where you continue to funnel resources to us so we can build the kingdom of God in the earth today. And we would be a bride without spot or wrinkle, ready to receive you. Ready to receive you. You're here this morning, and as I'm preaching, one of these three roles just kind of resonates with you. God's tugging on your heart this morning, and, and you know that you haven't really allowed that heart for the house to develop with that role in your life. And and this morning, you want to put a stake in the ground, draw a line in the sand, and you want to say, today is the day I'm going to begin to develop that heart. Today is the day I'm going to begin to operate in the role that I've been given. If that's you, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Yeah, thank you. Lift it up high so I can see you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you right now 
for your empowerment. Thank you right now, God, for your people developing a heart in a greater degree for the house so that we can see lives changed. Secondly, you're here this morning and you've never given your life to God. God's tugging on your heart this morning and all of this stuff that I talk about, about the heart for the house, it really doesn't mean that much until you give your heart to Jesus. You can't have a heart for the things that he had a heart for unless you have a heart for him. So this morning you're here and God's tugging on your heart. I want to pray for you. Who is that? Slip up your hand this morning. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, but something on the inside of you is saying, man, I really do thank you, ma'am. I saw you in the back. Who else? Thank you, sir. Proud of you. Who else this morning? You don't have a relationship with Jesus. There's just something missing in your life. Thank you, sweetheart. Something missing in your life. And this morning, God is he's trying to open up an entire new world to you. You're having this internal battle and struggle because the devil is still trying to rid you of your identity. He's still trying to rid you of the image that you were created in. Man, don't let him win. Don't battle in your mind right now and walk out of this place having not committed your life to God. As I look across the room last time, anybody else besides these three or four people? All right, and then you're here this morning and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be and you want to recenter it, refocus it. Who is that? Yeah, a lot of hands. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am, ma'am. Thank you. A lot of hands. All right, let's pray together. Scripture tells us that if you will believe in your heart and say it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and receive him, that he will come into your life and he will save you and he will give you purpose. So I want to lead you in a prayer so that you can say with your mouth what you're believing in your heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my life so that I could operate in a kingdom role, a prophet, a priest, or a king. I thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sin and giving me a future. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we welcome those into the kingdom?